Greetings, and welcome to the official podcast of CallUponTheLord.com. My name's Corey Wigington, and this is episode 17. This week, we are on week 17 of the great story. We're going to be talking about how the nation of Judah was destroyed because of the sins of Manasseh. And then next week, we're going to be covering Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, in its whole entirety. Uh, which should be interesting because I recently taught a Bible study on the book of Daniel that was 12 weeks long. So condensing that into an hour should be uh, a feat. But an enjoyable at that one at that because I really enjoyed the book of, of Daniel. It's just full of of prophecy and and good lessons to, to learn. Just Daniel's just a great book. He's a, a great person and uh, one of the, the best prophets that, that ever lived. So, should be good uh, good times next week, and good times this week as well, because we're going to be looking at Judah. So, if you've not done so already, I encourage you to go out to the Call Upon the Lord website. That's calluponthelord.com, and get your study guide. That's one I teach from here. Uh, you can find that under the Bible Study section, under Corey Wigington, The Great Story, and then just scroll down to where you find Week 17, and you will find both the, well, actually there's three things there. You'll find, um, is there three? maybe there's four things there. I think there's four things there now. Uh, because I added a link into the blog description that I write up about each one of these episodes. Uh, there should be a link there for the audio, a link there for the video, which you're watching now. So you've probably already found that. And there's also a link to where you can download the study guide, which I teach from. So I do encourage you to go out there and do that. Uh, if you've not done so already, go ahead and like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash calluponthelord. Uh, follow us on Twitter, also twitter.com slash calluponthelord. And eventually, I will get these loaded up on GodTube. I looked at that earlier last week, but they have a 200 megabyte cap on the videos that you can upload to that website. And the videos that I generally put out about anywhere from 600 to uh, 600 megabytes to one gigabyte. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to, to pare that that down a little bit. Whether it means lowering the resolution or maybe breaking it into multiple sections that I can upload. I haven't quite decided what I want to do with that yet, but we'll figure it out and we'll put it up there on GodTube because I figure that's probably a pretty good form for people to to digest this material. Given that if you're on GodTube probably already a Christian and this kind of material would be pretty edifying for you. So hopefully I can get to that and get that information up there and maybe get a little bit more widespread in my distribution. So enough of that. Let's get started with the great story. Week 17. Let me take a drink of water here first. All right, introduction. So we're going to cover a little bit what we did last week. Uh, just just a little bit of a, a recap. <clears throat> of course, uh, the ex uh, exportation of the Israelites from the northern kingdom began around 740 BC, and by 722 BC, all of Sam the Samaria had been captured and the northern kingdom had been completely defeated. So. We, see, we talked last week, of course, about the northern kingdom being invaded by the Assyrians. Uh, by 722, the Assyrians have, 
have basically taken over the northern kingdom, have exported all of the Jews that had lived in that area, brought in a whole group, new group of people. Uh, we talked about the ten lost tribes of, of Israel, and that's where the ten lost tribes went to. They were exported during the Assyrian invasion. Uh, of course, you know we'll talk about this later, but one of the reasons why the Jews didn't like the uh, Sumerians in the New Testament was because they were kind of half-breeds. They were half-Jews and half-Assyrians. When the Jews came back to uh, that area, of course, they intermarried with the Assyrians, so they were kind of a, a half-breed between the Jewish people and a Gentile people. And, of course, the Jews were uh, very much about the the purity of their, their tribes, of course, you know, we, we talked about keeping land within, you know, certain, uh, certain families and certain tribes and such, and, well, when you have the, what went on with the Sumerians, well, you kind of can't do that anymore. So, that's one of the reasons why the, the, uh, Jewish people didn't like the Sumerian people. But that's for a later time. <clears throat> uh, continuing on, of course, with our review from last week, uh, in Judah... King Hezekiah came to power. Of course, he was one of the good kings of Judah, uh, one of the few good kings of Judah. When he recognized what was going on in the north, he realized that he wasn't going to be able to defend the nation of Judah with just military power. So he turned back to the Lord, and you know he sought after Isaiah, who was a prophet of God, and you know figured out what they needed to do in order to survive. And because Hezekiah tore down all the high places of the foreign gods, tore down those altars, tore down the, the Asherah poles, uh, and basically turned Israel back, or Judah, back to God, Judah was spared the onslaught from the Assyrians. So, uh, Angel of the Lord, of course, was, was sent up there, killed 185,000 Assyrians, and... Judah was spared that destruction at that time. Of course, it was just a short reprieve as Judah ends up being destroyed a little bit later on. But we'll talk about that today. So, <clears throat> the next section here, we talk about the last kings of Judah. Of course, last week I also covered a little bit on Manasseh. I'm just going to do a quick recap on him. He's really the source of all the problems that Israel is, or that Judah is going to have during this time, because Hezekiah, he tore down all the high places, he tore down all the altars, he turned Judah back toward God. Manasseh, on the other hand, went back, just completely ignored what his father did, and went back to serving foreign gods and doing all the, these sacrifices. Uh, kind of makes you wonder about why didn't Hezekiah teach Manasseh about the the law, about the word of God, about you know the importance of following what God had was you know had said in the law and what he was saying through the prophets and just what happened in the in the northern kingdom? Why did Manasseh turn back to all the things that got the northern kingdom destroyed? I, I don't know. There's really not a good answer for that other than just the plain wickedness of man's heart. I mean, Hezekiah, he was, he, 
he did all the right things, but somehow that got past Manasseh. Um, Manasseh came to power. Uh, it says he does all manner of evil and does evil in the sight of the Lord. He rebuilt all the altars to the foreign gods. It says he practiced soothsaying. Uh, he consulted with spiritualists. Uh, he, he was into witchcraft and, and mediums. Uh, one section in there actually says he made his son pass through the fire. Now, I'm not certain whether you're familiar with that phrase or what that means, but there was a, a sacrifice that Molech required. Molech was the god of the Moabites. And when you pass through the fire, it's basically saying that you sacrificed your child on an altar of fire, and you know the child was burnt to death uh, as part of this sacrifice. So Manasseh actually sacrificed one of his sons, passed through the fire to, to satisfy the god Molech. Of course, that's... <laughs> Well, obviously that's very sinful, and this is amazing that anybody would even do that. But anyway, it says that uh, his sins, he provoked in his sins, he provoked the Lord to anger, and the Lord promised to destroy Judah as a result of that. And let's look at that uh, that promise. That's in Second Kings twenty one ten through fifteen. <clears throat> we read this last week, but I wanted to read it again just for. Now, to kind of set up what was happening here in Judah. The title of the section, of course, is Manasseh's Idolatry is Denounced. and says in verse 10, And the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done these things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also sin with his idols. Therefore, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done what is evil in my sight, and have provoked me to anger since the days their father since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. So we can see here Manasseh is just basically carrying on the same thing that all the Israelites had done prior to him. He was serving idols, worshipping idols. He was not giving honor to the God of Israel, the one who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. It says that from the time they got, came out of Egypt, that the Israelite people were against God. I mean, you remember back, you know, at the the, the foot of the mountain when they they built the calf uh, to worship and said, "This is the God that brought you out of Egypt." No. No, that's what Manasseh is doing here too. He's telling the people, "Oh yeah, there, oh, this, there's his other god over here, and he's more powerful, and you should worship him." Our God is a jealous God, and you don't put any god before him. Bad things happen when you put another god before our God. And in this case, the Lord God let them know, 
I am your God. I am the only God. And because you have forsaken me, now I will hand you over to your enemies. So everything that happens from this point on is directly because of Manasseh and his sin. Hezekiah turned Israel around, or turned Judah around, and it looked like they were going to avoid all of these problems. But because of Manasseh, you had this uphill with Hezekiah, and then downhill with Manasseh. And because of his sin, now destruction has been announced upon Judah. So Manasseh reigned from about 697 B.C. to 642 B.C. When he died, his son Amnon came to power. He reigned from 642 to 640 B.C. He became king when he was 20 years old. Of course, he was a, another evil king. Uh, but he only reigned for two years before his own servants decided to rebel against him and kill him. So he only reigned for a very short time. Of course, after he was assassinated, the people of Judah killed the people that assassinated Amnon and put Josiah on the throne. And this was done because they wanted to maintain the Davidic line. So Josiah was put on, on the throne. Uh, Josiah was, was one of the good kings. Uh, Josiah reigned from... 640 to 609 BC. Uh, he was the last good king of Judah prior to the exportation to Babylon. When Babylon came in, of course, they, they sent some people uh, down to Babylon out of uh, the nation of Judah. So he was the last good king prior to the exile. Now, Josiah, he was not always a good king doesn't say anything necessarily bad about him in the Bible. Uh, but as we'll see here in a moment, he was, wasn't necessarily always a good king. It says he was installed to be king when he was eight years old. So you can see uh, by the people of Judah putting him on the throne, it wasn't because he was great and powerful and had this great backing uh, that would make it politically advantageous put him on the throne instead of Amnon. Now, he was eight years old. The only real claim that he had to the throne was that he was a son of David. So he was installed when he was eight years old. It says he rules for 31 years. It doesn't really say too much about what he did for the first part of his rule, but it does say in the 18th year of his rule, the book of the law was found. And says, and this is covered in Second Kings twenty two eleven. It says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothing. Now this, of course, uh, we see this all throughout the Old Testament, where they tear their clothing and sit in and sit in ashes, or uh, you know, tear their sackcloth, or, or they put on sackcloth and then sit in ashes. This was a sign of grief, great lamentation. This was when you know you've done something wrong or you know something terrible has happened this is how you mourn so Josiah he heard the words of the law and he realized Judah was in a bad way Judah had not followed the words of the law not done what the Lord had prescribed for them to do he knew that there was all this idolatry in the land 
and that that would anger God. And because of that, as soon as he heard it, his heart responded to that and said, we need to get this fixed. So immediately he seeks out a, the, the prophet uh, and he says, you know, what can we do? Uh, of course, the word of the Lord comes back and says that Judah is going to be destroyed because of what they had done previously. Uh, but Judah, or but Josiah, he did uh, he did the right thing. It says uh, he tore down all the altars, tore down all the high places, tore down all the the places that foreign gods were being worshipped, and he restored true worship to the land of Israel. So that's very important. Uh, it says in 2 Kings 23-25, speaking of Josiah, it says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord God with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So what that's basically saying was, no king responded the way that he did when he heard the law. There were good kings before him, and, you know, I guess only a handful of good kings after him. Uh, but he was the one where, you know, he started off not a good king, not a bad king. He was kind of, you know, a neutral king, if you will. He didn't do anything that really angered, uh, angered the Lord. However, when he heard the law, when he heard the truth of God, he turned from his evil ways and realized, I'm a servant of God. I, I need to do what's right in his eyes. So he turns back to the Lord God, and that's what it says about him here. No king before him or after him responded in such a way to the law, starting off evil, and then when he heard the law, immediately turned back to, to God and doing what the Lord prescribed for him to do. Um, unfortunately, he didn't live too long, uh, or what he had done didn't live too long after after he lived, um, and even what he did did not change the course that Judah was on. And we see that in Second Kings twenty three, twenty six through twenty seven. Just bring that up real quick. That says, Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, My name shall be there. So, despite all of Jos what Josiah did, it did not deter Judah from going down in destruction. And whether that's because God had already decided that uh, Judah was going to be destroyed, or whether because God knew that after Josiah left, that Israel would once again turn back to their evil ways. You know, God knows everything. 
So it's hard to say exactly what the what that little portion of scripture there actually implies. I mean, you know, maybe if Judah had actually turned uh, from their evil and wicked ways, their hearts had turned from uh, destruction, uh, and we t we'll talk about this when we talk about Jeremiah here in a little bit, maybe they would have been completely saved. But what Josiah did was not enough to turn them back from what Manasseh had done before him. So, unfortunately, at this time, Judah is on the track for uh, destruction. Josiah ends up dying in battle with uh, Egypt with Pharaoh Nicho II. Uh, in his place, when Josiah dies, his son Jehoiahaz comes to power. Uh, he was 23, year old, 23 years old when he came to power. Also says he was an evil king, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Pharaoh Nicho captured Jehoiaz and sent him to prison where he ended up dying. In his place, the Pharaoh appointed uh, another one of Josiah's sons to be king over Judah. Now, the son's original name was uh, Eliakim. However, it was changed, changed to Jehoiakim uh, when he was put into power. And the reason Nietzsche put him into power was for the express purpose of getting tribute from Judah. So Pharaoh demanded that Judah send a certain amount of gold and silver to him as tribute. And Jehoiakim did that. Of course, he taxed the people heavily for it. And in typical evil fashion, he also... Uh, kept m much of that money for himself and built himself a, a, a nice palace but he paid tribute to uh, to Egypt so Jehoiakim he reigned from 609 to 598 uh, during the last part of Jehoiakim's reign the Babylonians uh, attacked the land of Judah and Jehoiakim ended up becoming a vassal to Nebuchadnezzar for about three years, and then he rebelled against Babylon. Uh, when Jehoiakim uh, died in 598, Jehoiachin became king. He was 18 years old when he took the throne. Um, he was captured in Babylon. I guess he took the... Uh, hmm. Got my dates a little bit wrong here on my study guide. I'll have to change that for later. Um, but anyway, he was captured and taken to Babylon where he died. And in 598, uh, Zedekiah became king. His original name was uh, Mataniah, but Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Zedekiah. And of course, he did evil on the side of the Lord. Uh, he rebelled against Babylon in 587 and ended up uh, causing the final downfall of, or I guess, 598, 588, and then in 587, the final downfall of, of Judah happened. So those were the last kings of Judah, kind of a, a sorrowful trek through history. Uh, a little bit of reprieve for a while with two good kings, and then uh, the evil kings just ran them into the ground, and, and God had to punish them. So, 
Now, of course, during that time, uh, there were many prophets that were sent to the land of Judah declaring what was going on. Uh, two of them that we're going to talk about, and we're not going to talk about their ministries in, in great detail, as that is a study all in itself, uh, because they have books named after them, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So, like I said, we're not going to cover them in great detail, but we're going to tell you a little bit about them, uh, and then we'll work on from there. Uh, Ezekiel, he was prophet during the uh, exile to Babylon. He was 25 years old when he was sent to Babylon and began his prophetic ministry when he was around the age of 30. In the first part, first chapter of Ezekiel, we see Ezekiel having a vision of heaven. Uh, talks about four living creatures uh, that he sees in heaven. Of course, we see that same imagery in the book of Revelation. So we'll, we have a little bit of connection there. Those angels, four living, uh, four living creatures, likely express the will of God being carried out here. Uh, we see in Ezekiel uh, two one through five why Ezekiel was was sent out here and what he did in his prophetic ministry. Let's look at that for a moment. Evidently, I cannot spell Ezekiel. There we go. Anyway. So the call of Ezekiel says, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nation of rebels, who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So even when the people got sent into exile, the Lord still sent them a prophet to teach them what they did wrong and how to turn back to God. And that was a lot of what uh, Ezekiel's ministry was. Uh, he was probably sent to Babylon uh, after Jehoiachin surrendered in 598. Uh, he teaches that about the disobedience of Israel and Judah, uh, despite all of what the, you know God had done for them. He saved them from Egypt. He brought them into the Promised Land. He gave them you know multiple victories over their enemies. God had just done a list of things in history for the Israelite people, and they completely ignored all of that. Instead, went out and served other gods. So. That was part of what Ezekiel was teaching them. He describes their sins uh, with idolatry. It explains the consequences of those sins, which is basically why they were in the land of Babylon anyway. Uh, he taught them that the Lord had determined that Israel and Judah would be destroyed because of all of their wickedness. Uh, it didn't matter whether there was a few good men in their society. Uh, it didn't prevent the destruction of the whole. 
We'll look at that. That's actually in Ezekiel 14, 12 through 14. Look at that just really quickly. See that? that brings us to a, a teaching moment. It says, <clears throat> 14, 12. Yeah, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut it off and cut off from it man and beast. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. So that's a scary thing right there. What that was basically saying is Israel as a nation had turned against God. And the Bible says when they when you do that, when a nation does that and acts faithlessly toward toward God, that the Lord will cut them off and say, yeah, You've acted faithlessly, uh, now I'm going to stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. And it says, even if these three men, he identifies three of the greatest men up and until that time. Okay? You have Noah, who was the only righteous man found in the world uh, after, you know, after, of course, the, the fall with Adam. Uh, several, a couple thousand years went by. And Noah was the only righteous man left. So his family was saved. So Noah was a righteous man. Daniel, which we'll talk about next week, Daniel was an extremely righteous and faithful man. And Job, you know, if you read anything about the book of Job, I mean, despite all of the things that happened to Job, he remained faithful to God. God even allowed Satan to do all of this stuff to him because he said, have you considered my, my servant Job? How faithful he is and how he walks in my ways and does all the things that I've told him to do. So, uh, Ezekiel lists off these three men as kind of the pinnacles. Like, even if the best men in history were living today and in that land, that wouldn't be enough to save the land. They would, they would be saved because of their own righteousness. But the land itself... It's it's done for. Now the preaching moment from that is, what are we looking at today in the United States? With a land that is turning away from God. With all of the the foreign gods that we have here, and all of the uh, horrible sins that we. I mean, you just turn on the news, and the news is just a, a, a you know a chronicle of all the sins that have been you know done during that day. Just you think about all the things that are going wrong in the United States today, and you kind of relate it back to what's happening here with Judah. We've turned away from God. We've we're faithless to Him. Uh, is He going to, to stretch out His hand and destroy destroy us? I mean, is the fact that there are, you know however many million Christians in the United States, is that saving the, the United States from destruction for right now? But eventually even that won't be enough? It's hard to say. I know we're in dire straits right now and we need to get our act together or you know, 
something very similar to what happened in the the uh, what Ezekiel's talking about it's going to happen to us I mean it doesn't take uh, too much of reading the Bible to figure out that the United States does not appear in Revelation anywhere and there's got to be a reason for that so just keep that in mind there's your preaching moment for the day so let's move on to the book uh, well at least to Jeremiah now Jeremiah he prophesied quite a bit before uh, Ezekiel did. He was about 20 years older than Ezekiel. He prophesied from about 627 B.C. to about 570. So basically he started prophesying during the time of Josiah. And his ministry ended after Judah was defeated and he was forced to flee down to Egypt with uh, the remnant of Judah. Uh, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. One of the reasons we get that um, comes from Jeremiah 9.1. It says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Uh, his ministry was mainly to the people of Judah, though it did uh, go out into some of the surrounding nations as well. Uh, like the other prophets before him, he had to contend with false prophets that came around. Now his problem was that he was telling uh, the Babylonians were knocking at their door, and Jeremiah was saying, look, here's what God said. Uh, you need to turn from your evil ways. Surrender to the Babylonians. That's what the Lord wants you to do. Don't hold out. Don't do anything. You're, you have been judged. Just surrender. Of course, the false prophets were coming and saying, Oh, no, 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 we'll be fine. You know, God will protect us. Or this God, you know, you know some other foreign God will, will protect us from what's going on in Babylon. I mean, we, we were promised this land. No, they were the false prophets. Jeremiah was the real prophet. But no one wanted to listen to Jeremiah because his message was not popular. His message was, we're defeated. We need to go into exile and take our punishment like men. Whereas the false prophets were, yeah, we're okay for now. So, his main message, of course, was... If the people will turn from their wicked ways and serve God, destruction can be avoided. I mean, that's what Jeremiah was preaching. Don't serve foreign gods. Serve the one true God. If you do that, it doesn't matter how far gone you are. If you do that honestly and sincerely, God will restore you. Now, there might be some punishment involved in your sin, but God will at least restore you. Uh, and in this case, he was telling them that destruction could be avoided. So Jeremiah, for all of his troubles of you know, telling them what was going on and how to avoid it, um, he was thrown into a cistern. We read that, uh, just a, a quick story about Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 38.2.
It says, Thus says the Lord, He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war, and live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, and it will be taken. Then the official said to the king, Let this man be put to death, for he is weakly for he is weakening the hand of the soldiers who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by which such words by speaking such words to them for this man is not seeking the welfare of this people but their harm king zedekiah said behold he is in your hands for the king can do nothing against you so they took jeremiah and cast him into a cistern of malachia the king's son which was in the courtyard of of the guard letting jeremiah down by ropes and there he was in. there was no water in the cistern but only mud and jeremiah sank into the mud so a couple of things from that first off zedekiah was kind of a coward uh, he wouldn't actually do anything to to jeremiah he just eh, you can go take him and, and just do whatever you want to him so because Jeremiah was prophesying that the city was going to fall, it doesn't matter what you're going to do, you know, how long you try to hold out, the city's going to fall. If you surrender, you'll have your lives, and you can go about you know, serving the Lord at that point. If you don't surrender, you're going to die in this city and die in your sin. The advisors to the king were basically telling the king, Jeremiah was, was, you know, sowing seeds of, of, you know, fear into our soldiers. We can't hold this city if he keeps talking like this. We need to get rid of him. So, that's what the king decides. It's like, well, we're not going to listen to Jeremiah. He's obviously a raving lunatic talking about surrendering. So, just just go ahead and do whatever you want with him. And they did. They threw him down into a, a cistern, and they hoped that he would die down there. You know, no food, no water. He was just going to die down there. Of course, it goes on to tell us that he was saved by uh, Ebed-Melech. He was an uh, Ethiopian, a Gentile. He was uh, probably a eunuch, in the, uh, and uh, a servant of the king uh, ended up saving Jeremiah from death down in that cistern. So you see here, he was teaching words that would restore Judah to, you know, what it could have been he's telling them we've sinned destruction's been promised at this point we just need to surrender and and take our lickings but if we don't we're all going to die here and nobody wanted to hear that bad news so they got just got rid of the messenger yeah that doesn't work final fall of of judah uh, happened as such Babylon attacked Judah originally in about 598. Uh, they captured and deported many of Israel's finest youths, um, princes and, and people of uh, high standing, uh, their, their sons. Uh, likely they did that for a couple of reasons. Uh, we, we see that in the book of Daniel where it talks about them bringing you know basically the cream of the crop back because they were going to train them to be administrators because that's what you know Babylon did 
they trained people that were familiar with the lands that they were invading so that they could be you know, ministers over them, uh, overseers, basically. They knew how to relate to the people of that land, but if they're also loyal to Nebuchadnezzar, whoever is the king of Babylon, then it, it basically worked out for both sides. They were loyal to the king, so the king didn't have to worry about them. And then the people saw them as, oh, well, that's one of, you know, that's one of us. It's, it's an Israelite up there that's leading us. So that could have been part of their plan, uh, was to take the uh, smartest and the, the best groomed and the people with no blemishes on them to kind of set them up as being uh, in power. Another reason could have been to you know, blackmail, basically. You've taken all the sons of the, the rich people in the land. That's a good way to keep people from revolting against you because you'll just kill their family. So it could have been a couple reasons there. However, among the people that were deported in 598 were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that happened in 598. Uh, that's when Zedekiah was made king by King Nebuchadnezzar. In 588, Zedekiah rebelled. Uh, that's when Babylon sieged uh, the city of Jerusalem, and by 587, the uh, city fell, and second deportation took place, where more people from the land of Judah were taken down to Babylon. Small note here, if you do any research on the dates that all this happened on, different commentaries will have a little different dates. It's a little bit hard to match up exactly what happened when in the historical record. So depending on what a certain commentator bases his or her uh, scholarship on, sometimes the dates end up falling, you know, a couple years difference here. It's like, <clears throat> you know, the, the birth of Jesus. We're not exactly sure what date, you know, what year that w the Lord was born in. We know about the time, within a couple of years, but we can't be exactly certain on, yes, on this date he was born. We just don't have that information. That's basically similar here, too. We can even look back in the Babylonian records and find out what's going on. That still doesn't give us an exact date about what's going on here. So if the dates that you find are slightly different than the ones that I'm teaching about here, that's probably where the difference is coming from. So anyway, the second deportation took place in 587. Uh, and then in 583, there was a third deportation uh, that happened. Uh, the governor of, of Judah at that time was uh, Gedaliah. He was assassinated, and a third deportation took place. But Judah was destroyed and defeated by 587. That's when the the king fell. That's when the nation, you know, Israel, Jerusalem was taken, and that's when the nation really fell. So Judah was defeated under King Zedekiah. And all of the Israelites, or at least most of them, were taken into captivity in Babylon. However, there was a promise for a return. Now we jump into our next section. We've got to read a little bit here. But there was a promised return. Jeremiah 23 talks about that. 23, 
verses 3 through 8. It says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In this day Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought them out of, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord who lives, as the Lord lives, who brought them up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where He had driven them, then they shall dwell in their land. So that's a the first verse that uh, we should read. I mean, that's a promise from Jeremiah. That's a prophecy of the future where uh, the Lord will gather his flock, where he will raise up uh, a righteous branch from uh, from the line of David, and he will reign, deal wisely, and execute justice and, and righteousness in the land. Second verse we need to read is Jeremiah 29, 10-14. through 14. This talks specifically about the Babylonian exile. It says, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you to exile. So this is a promise uh, from the Lord basically saying that Seventy years you're going to be in exile. This is specifically talking about the Babylonian exile. Uh, of course, they're uh, in exile for 70 years because uh, they didn't keep the Sabbath year for 490 years. Uh, and that's part, part of their punishment. That's basically where they leave the land dormant and let it recover. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why it was 70 years. 490 divided by 7, that gives you your 70 years. So, the promise of the return is, you know, the Lord didn't wasn't forgetting his people. He wasn't done with them yet. He was telling them, you're going to be punished, you're going to be in exile, but there's more to come. I have a plan for you. You're going to be down there for 70 years, but when you come back, here's what's going to happen. And he says, the Davidic line will carry on. Israelites will live in their land again. The Messiah is going to come. So, there is a promise for the future. Even though destruction is taking place, 
there's hope for the future. They know they have something yet to come. And this is a very strong prophecy of the Messiah is yet to come. Someone who will reign over you. Someone from the house of David will, will be the king. So what lessons do we learn from this story? Well, same lessons that uh, have been told all the way through the Old Testament. One is sin can be forgiven. That, that was one of Jeremiah's big things was if you just turn, just turn back from what you're doing, the sin that you're doing against the Lord, just turn back from your evil ways. Turn back to God and you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. Sin can be forgiven. You just got to seek God. Second thing, of course, is sometimes punishment will happen. Even though you've asked for forgiveness, you are forgiven, but there's punishment involved. And we can kind of see that with uh, the life of Josiah and what he did. He brought the people back from you know, doing all the evil that Manasseh had reinstituted, yet it wasn't enough. The Lord still declared, I'm going to destroy this place. So... It could have been that, you know, like I said earlier, that the Lord knew that the people would turn away from him again and he needed a to provide them with a permanent solution to get rid of idolatry because when they went down to Babylon and came back, idolatry was no longer a problem for them. And it never has been since. So that could have been part of it or he just knew that they had turned away for the last time and there was no, no recovery from that. Uh, Sometimes sin requires that punishment. And the last thing, of course, is God is faithful, and he will save you if you call upon his name. That was one of Jeremiah's uh, big things, too. He told them, you're going to be punished. You're going to go into exile, but that's fine. You need to do it. That's, that's what the Lord's commanded. That's what the Lord's will is. But eventually... You'll see your, the error in your ways. You'll see what kind of sins you were committing. And you'll call upon the Lord. And the Lord will hear you. And the Lord will restore you. That's the point here. You're in a life of sin. You can't do it on your own. Sin, the wages of sin, is death. And, I mean, that's, that's from the beginning. Sin leads to death. There's only one way out of that, and that's through forgiveness from our Father. And that is the big lesson out of this is the Lord will forgive you. If you just call upon his name, that's all that it takes. It changes your heart, and you will be saved. So I think we'll end there this week. It's a good place to stop. Uh, always get a little... Well, Terry, I'm a bit of a crier. I don't know. Probably have never said that before. But uh, when I start talking about the Lord like that, it uh, touches my heart a little bit. So we'll just go ahead and, and stop there. And we'll pick her up next week. So like I said, we're going to be in the, the book of Daniel next week. So that's going to be exciting. Love Daniel. Great man. Uh, a lot of good things to learn from Daniel. So until then... Uh, hopefully you keep studying, you keep praying, and hopefully the Lord's working great wonders in your life. God bless you all, and I hope you come back and join us next week.